Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. You know, if you've been here since last summer, it was last summer that God began to take us on a new journey of generosity. And one of the areas where he's really growing us as a church is developing a heart for the poor. And, and if you've been here since August, you know, we've had kind of three special initiatives for the poor. We had uh, kind of, we raised money for drilling wells in Ethiopia, water wells. Uh, we we uh, kind of just uh, raised uh, food for the poor in Los Angeles. And then at Christmas, uh, we did uh, kind of raise, poor for, uh, raise money for uh, farm animals around the world for the poor through World Vision. And so through those three initiatives, we raised some from August to December, I think it was $87,000 on top of our no, normal global ministries uh, budget uh, for, just for the, for the poor. And uh, so one of our prayers this year is that God would continue to lead us in that area, help us take steps as a church growing in his heart for the poor. And so uh, Lauren contacted me a couple months ago. I mean, she, she had this idea. And I said, man, this sounds awesome. We got together with her. And it's just really cool to see what God had put in her heart. And, and kind of we worked out the logistics. And so what's going to happen is that um, the, next, the next two weekends, uh, I would encourage, challenge you to bring in uh, a blankets for the poor. And so for the homeless in San Bernardino Valley. So uh, you can bring in either can be new blankets or they can be what she calls gently used. Of course, obviously clean and so on. And, and we're going to stack them over in this corner of the worship center, and we're just going to see how many blankets that we can get. I'm hoping between 500 and 1,000 blankets, something like that. And so I will send you out, uh, I will send you uh, an email uh, both this week and next week, just kind of reminding you of that if you feel like that's something you want to participate in. Uh, secondly, uh, just want to call your attention. Joel highlighted these two important steps of our growth path, both the movement course, which starts tonight's so a two-week course. And that's really a great course for those of you who are brand new at Rocky Peak, or uh, you know, even if you're not ready to be like a, what we call a partner, but you just want to understand our vision, values, strategies. It's really an opportunity for more spiritual growth in your life. Uh, and, and then, of course, if you want to be a partner, then that is, of course, we ask you to take. It's required. Um, and this new essential class is coming up on Tuesday night, uh, not this week, but a week from very excited. To me, to me, you know, theology is a description of reality. And so when, when we're doing theology well, that it leads us to life transformation. And, and I'm very excited, working hard on that course, and we'll be delivering that kind of starting it a week from Tuesday. And so if you're not signed up, like you said, you can go online, sign up, and then you'll, you'll get that pre-assigned reading. It's about 20 pages. Uh, you can do it there, or you can go out, if you don't have internet access, go out to the point today. They'll have that reading for you, so you're all, you're all ready to go. And then one last thing. Uh, I've had a couple of people ask me with this whole crisis in Japan, are we doing something in an organized way as a church? And what we've decided to do is that we're going to we're going to refer you to two organizations we work closely with in, in the past. One's World Vision; they have a strong presence in Japan. The other one is Children's Hunger Fund that have partners that they're networking with over there. And so you can just go online directly and donate there if you want to be a part of of that whole thing that's going on there. So uh, th- those are some updates. Now, if you're here for the very first time, I want to welcome you. My name's Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. And we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. Inside your program is a uh, message note sheet we use every week. And so get your iPads or uh, phones or Bibles out and uh, your note sheets. And uh, we're working behind the scenes to to work it. So when you just come on campus, if you've got an iPad, if you've got a phone, if you've got it, we just kind of will download the message notes right onto your your, your device so you can just kind of work with them there. So we're working on that behind the scenes. We'll see how long that takes to get that done. But uh, uh, moving into increasingly digital age, right? <laughs> Pretty soon I'll just be up here and just like just come out. This is gonna be something I'll be in Hawaii and just like <laughs> I'm gonna kick him back. And, all right, let's. Uh, y'all ready to go? It's kind of crazy. So it's pouring out there, isn't it? 
It's pouring. And, you know, when it rains out there, you know, you tend to get quiet in here. And so the, you know, this is putting huge stress on me, right, because I've got to just, like, pump you up, get you going. And so I, I'm looking for your little cooperation here, right? So, so you're with me today? We're ready to go? <laughs> All right. There we go. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church and the way you're moving us, shaping us, shaking us, uh, teaching us what it means every week a little bit more, what it means to be a movement of passionate Christ followers who love you more than anything else, desire nothing more than to know you and to please you in our life is our top priority. And so we come today, Lord, it's this important topic of how we see ourselves as followers of Jesus. We, we pray you kind of release us from some old bad ideas, kind of bring some new ones that set us free to be these people and the movement that you've called us to be. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today a, a long time ago, uh, and the, the way I know it's a long time ago is because I was 22 at the time. And, uh, and so we, Lynn and I were back living outside Chicago. I was going to school. Uh, we, we had moved back about a, a year before from California we, uh, to, for me to continue my education there. And, uh, and so it was, it was approaching our third year anniversary. And so it's kind of big time. We're excited about this. This, this week we celebrate our 35, 35th year anniversary. And so I, I'm looking forward to that. But this was only our third anniversary. And, and so we were kind of still new at this thing. And, and just grateful we lasted three years. No, just kidding. Uh, and, and so um, we, uh, we, we wanted to go out and celebrate. But, of course, we're very poor. We were very poor college students. I mean, for us, going down to the, the you know, the, the pink horse to get ice cream or whatever it was called there in the town we live, I mean, it was a big deal. Like, do you have enough change? Do I have enough change? You know, let's put it together. And so we're going out to this nice restaurant, and, and this was not like what we normally did because we, we were very poor. And so I make reservations. It's, it's 45 minutes away. It's out on the Fox River in Geneva, Illinois. It's, it's a place. It's called the Mill Race Inn. It was, it was built in 1933, this building. It used to be an actual mill. They had turned it into a high-class, high-end restaurant. We heard um, great things about it. We'd never been there. We just knew it was very expensive. And so we've been saving our money, and we're just really looking forward to going. And so, so we get out there. Now, remember, we've only been... Uh, back in Illinois for about a year. So we're still California people. And so in California, you, you got a shirt, you got shoes, you're pretty much good wherever you go. And so, so we come in, and I'm in California casual, whatever that was, and, uh, and, and we, we come in, and, and the guy that meets us at the door welcomes us as the Mater D. And I mean, he, he is dressed. He is dressed to the T. He's got the British accent thing going. I mean, he's very stately. And, and like, we're stepping into another world. And, and so he welcomes us. Do you have a reservation? Yes, we do. Checks us in and so on. And then he, he turns to me and he says, um, would you like a jacket? <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is awesome. This place, they not only feed you, they clothe you. <laughs> this, what a deal. And, and so I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I, you know, I, I'm really comfortable. And he gives me the look. And I realize all of a sudden, this really wasn't an offer. It was more like a requirement. And suddenly, I felt very awkward. Well, today we're, uh, we're continuing our series that, that we've been in now for the last few weeks. And if you're brand new, we want to welcome you. We're, just, we're praying that God brings us people that are, are hungry to grow, hungry to know God, hungry to have their lives transformed. Like, oh, we don't really care if you're, you're far from God, this is all brand new, or, or you're already a passionate Christ follower, we've been following for a long We're just praying that God would bring us people who are hungry to grow to be part of what he's doing here. And so, 
every week he's bringing you. I get to meet you every month in my house, and I'm just excited about what, uh, who he's bringing. And so, so welcome. We're glad you're here. But, but because you're new, I want to step back. I always step back just for a moment and bring you up to speed. This is a series that you can see on the walls. It's called Just Do It. It's a study of a letter in the New Testament uh, that's from uh, a very, one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is James, and he is actually the half-brother of Jesus. They grew up together. He's a great leader in the early movement, and, and he writes this letter to fellow Jewish Christ followers very early in the movement of Jesus. Most scholars believe within the first 10 to 15 years of the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's this incredible window into the early movement of Jesus. And one thing that we've learned so far about this letter is it's incredibly practical. Like, for example, uh, two weeks ago, first topic on the table was hard times and, and how, how God uses hard times in our life to shape us and why he allows them to come in. And then last week, the topic was wisdom. And when you're going through hard times, what you need is wisdom from God and how to go through it. And so, so he talks about wisdom and how, where it comes from and how to get it and how God wants to give it to us and so on. Well, today the topic has a very modern ring to it. And it's the topic of, of self-image and how we see ourselves. And, and I don't know about you, but when I, even when I first say that, that sounds like so modern, like, like really, is that, is that really a concern? But when you stop and think about it, how we see ourselves has always been a concern of the human race. Uh, uh, where do you fit in the pecking order of life, you know, from the time you're little to the time you're, 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 uh, you're old? And so, uh, so James wants to talk to us, now that we're Christ's followers, now that we've given our life to Jesus, how should we see ourselves? And so there in your note sheet, there's a section uh, called uh, Self-Image, A New Perspective. And we're going to walk through the passage. It's just three, uh, three verses, 9, 10, and 11. And, uh, and then we'll begin to unpack the, the principles, right? So here we go. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 9. <coughs> chapter 1 and verse 9 uh, says, The brother in humble circumstances. Now, what he means by this is the person who's poor financially. All right, we'll see that in the next couple of verses. That's what he's talking about. And what we're going to learn in this passage is that there, there are many people in these churches that James is writing to who are very poor believers. They're very, they're very poor. They're, they're, they're extremely struggling financially. Some even hardly have enough to eat. And I think it's important just to say this quick sidebar is that, you know, every once in a while you, you'll come across someone who's fallen in this teaching that we call the health, wealth, prosperity teaching. You'll see it on TV, the idea that if you're a child of God, God wants everyone rich. And, and, the, and the fastest way to rich is to increase your giving, uh, usually to the person giving this message, you know, who's ever teaching, because then you'll be wealthy like me. And, and so what we see in the New Testament is that that's really a false teaching that, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. And so here's a great example. He says, you know, when you're poor, it's, it's not so much, uh, there's something wrong with that. You just need to change your perspective. And so he says, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. In other words, if you're poor, you need to remember who you are, okay? Who you are as a child of God, who you are as a follower of Jesus, what your future holds. And we'll come back to that. And then he says, but the one who is rich, in other words, there's some people in this, this church as he's writing to are very well off. They're, they're wealthy financially. He says, the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Uh, in other words, uh, if you're wealthy, uh, uh, if you have a lot of net worth, if, if, you, if you have a good job and so on, you need to remember that, that this life is short. And you need to remember that, that the blessings of this life are not going to carry over to the next life. And that where we're going next, it values people totally different than we value them here. And so you need to remember the truth about yourself, all right? So, and then he uses this analogy. He says, kind of like wildflowers. He says, uh, 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 
because he will pass away like the wildflower. And then he tells us what he means. For the sun rises with scorching heat, and it withers the plant, and its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. And in the same way, the rich man will fade away even when he goes about his business. And so, so what James is saying is that if you're poor, keep some perspective on who you are, the truth about yourself. We'll come back to that. But if you're rich, you need to remember that, that all this, these possessions and the glory and the esteem and the respect you have in this culture here, that it's really short-lived. It, it's like the beauty of a wild flower. Now, I remember when uh, Lynn and I were living down in North San Diego County. It's where we grew up. It's where we spent most of our lives before we came to Los Angeles to pastor this church. And, and so uh, near our house there was a beautiful nature reserve. And it was just a few miles away. And it was just wide open, not, not manicured. It's open fields, uh, open hills. There was a, a small lake, a pond, big trees, oak trees, and just wild open nature. A lot of trails and hardly anyone would go there. And I used to love to go there for prayer walks. I'd go on long prayer walks. It's a great place to walk, talk with God, kind of process life. And so I remember this one particular day, it was about this time of year, we'd had a heavy rains that year, much like, like this year, we had a lot of rain, and so you know how the hills here are so green because of it, isn't it awesome, and, and so, uh, so in the same way, uh, as, and I, was, I went out that, that day in the spring, I mean the, hill, the hills, I'd never seen it like this, they were totally covered with wildflowers, and I mean acre after acre. And it would, they were purples and blues and violets and gold and yellows and reds. And it was just spectacular. And, and at that moment, I was really, I, just, I wish Lynn could be there with me. I was like, I just wanted to show this. I knew she would love this. And so she, she wasn't there with me, so I decided to take it home to her. And, and so I began to gather wildflowers. Now, for those of you who are environmentalists, there was a lot of them, so I didn't really affect the ecology. <laughs> but... Um, but I began to go out, as you know, God said, rule the earth. And so I began to go out and pick my flowers and, and in fulfillment of the image of God in Genesis 126. And so I began to, to, uh, I began to, um, to take these flowers that God had created for my wife and, and, and I began to pick them in huge bunches. And it's like I got this huge bunch. I mean, we're sitting at the bottom, it's like this. It's like huge at the top. And it's just it's a gorgeous bouquet of wildflowers. And so I take them home and I give them to Lynn so she could experience just a little bit of what I experienced. And of course, she loved them. But you came back like a day or two later and they were what? They were dead because they're what? They're wildflowers. Like they're not Costco uh, roses. Like, you know how Costco roses are genetically engineered to last for six weeks. You know this, right? Like, you think that until the fourth week, and it's got to be plastic, right? But so they're, not like, they're not like that. They're, they're wildflowers, and as a result, they don't last very long. And so, so James says, you know what? This is the way your life is. That, that our life, it's, it's all like wildflowers. Whether you're rich or you're poor, now this life is short. In fact, most scholars believe that, that James had a verse from the Old Testament in his mind when he was writing this passage. And it's there in your note sheet. It's a very famous passage, Isaiah 40. And here's how Isaiah puts it. It says on your note sheet, all men are like grass. Catch that, all men, every one of us, like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers <laughs> and the flower falls because the breath of the Lord, the wind, in other words, blows on it. And surely the people are grass. And so, and so what James wants us to understand is that this life is very short. And, and whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, we need to keep that in our minds as we value ourselves. And so um, and what we need to understand is that where we're going, the next life, that they value things very differently there. And so we need to live this life in light of 
that life. All right, so, so that's the passage. Now, what I want to do is take this passage and break it down. Just a couple principles that jump out that are very powerful. So, like, we need to catch both these. If we're going to live well for Jesus, if we're going to unleash a movement here, that, that we need to understand and embrace both of these principles. All right, so there on your note sheet, there's a section uh, that's called Self-Image, a True Perspective. Let's just break this down. Number one. The first thing James wants us to understand is kind of a basic New Testament teaching that frames all of reality for us as Christ followers. And it goes like this, that life is short. Okay, the first thing James wants us to get, and this is foundational for everything he wants to say to us today, that life is short. And we see this throughout the New Testament, and this frames the reality for the Christ follower. Right? It, it changes everything when we understand this. Now, of course, Jesus often taught this, one of his favorite topics. And one of the things I've said that every week so far is that when you come to the letter of James, more than any other letter in the New Testament, it is built on the teaching of Jesus. You constantly hear the echoes, and we'll see it again. Because this is one of the things that Jesus often taught on is that this life is short, and so if you're going to be a wise person, you understand that reality. Next life is long, and next life is more real than this life. It's more physical, it's more tangible, it, it lasts forever. This is like the opening chapter of a long novel, and that's all it is, right? And, and this opening chapter, we decide how the rest of the story is going to go in our life, so it's an important chapter, but, but it's just the opening chapter of a novel that's going to go on forever. And so Jesus often taught this, and he taught it in a wise variety of ways, but one of his favorite ways to teach it is exactly how James is teaching it through, through the topic of finances, through the topic of money. And so what I want to do is just give you a couple examples. Now, trust me, there are a lot more than a couple. In fact, I had several this week. I just, for time, had to cut them out, all right? But, but I'm going to look at a couple examples of this. So the first one is in uh, Matthew chapter 6. And the topic, uh, the passage is a very famous one we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out kind of the message of his movement. And when we get to chapter 6, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, that, that there is a, a door, an intersection, a decision that you're going to have to go through at some point in your life. And it's basically, when, when it comes to your life, who is more important to you? Is it God or is it money? Okay? So the way he puts it is that no man can serve two masters. You're going to hate the one, love the other, love the one, hate the other. But, but you cannot serve God and Money. Now, so, so the principle is, is there can only be one God in our life. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to decide who that God is. And, of course, one of the greatest competitors of the true God in, in our culture, all cultures, is money. It's possession it's, it, and all the power and pleasure and stuff that comes from that. And, and so Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, that this, this, this is like a door you're going to have to go through. You have to decide, is it God or is it money? And in that context, he teaches then about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and to live in the light of the reality that this life is short and the next life is long. And so what he says, listen to that. Yeah, I'll keep going, I'll keep going, but uh, uh, I'm just saying, like, if we start floating, right, we're going to start getting animals two by two. You start pulling them in here. Uh, now, I just thought I'd acknowledge it because you're all like, yeah, can you hear that? Can you hear that? Like, I can't even hear that. Yeah, I, I hear it. I hear it. Okay. Okay. We're gonna, we are moving on now. Okay. We all hear it. It's really loud. It's really powerful. It's amazing. Okay. Back to the text. All right. Here we go. So, 
So in, in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus says, here, here's how he puts it. He says, uh, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And gas goes to $4 a gallon. Um, <laughs> and, where, and where the mortgage industry collapses and where the job market's down and unemployment's up um, and where thieves break in and steal. Like he, says, he says, hey, he says, the problem is, is this life, uh, your finances are vulnerable. That's, that's the point. And, and so he says, what you want to do is once you understand that this life is short and the next life is long, you, you want to invest your money in things that pay off forever, right? And so as you study through the teaching of Jesus, like, like what kind of things? Like, well, giving to the poor would be a great example, like the blanket thing. What, that, that when you give to the poor, that pays off for eternity. When, when you give to fund the movement of Jesus and, and to bring people to Christ, right, like that that pays eternal dividends. And so he says, uh, so don't lay them up on earth, but he says, uh, store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so what he cares about is our heart. You can't serve God and money. You can't have two gods. He says, so, so here's, here's how to do this. When it comes to your money, one way to break the hold of this false God in your life is to give. And it breaks the hold. And so as you begin preparing for your future. But here's what I want you to catch. The whole point of this teaching is based on the reality that this life is short and the next life is long. And so the wise person will live this life in light of the next life. The example is money, but he can apply it a million different ways, can't he? Now, next example comes from Luke chapter 12. And Jesus tells a story about a man who's very wealthy. And he's got everything he needs. And he's got his barns are full and his silos are full, and yet the money keeps pouring in. He's just is a very successful man, and so have a great harvest come in, and, and he doesn't know what to do with this money. He doesn't have, he's, you know, it's like doing room for all this stuff, and so he decides to tear down his barns and build larger barns and, and kind of create new bank accounts and new, new funds and so on. Uh, and, and he says, uh, so instead, catch this, instead of investing in things that last forever, instead of investing treasure in heaven, he's gonna invest in himself and in this life. And so the problem is, is he doesn't realize that that night he's going to die. Now, death is the ultimate vulnerability when it comes to our money, isn't it? Because, because you know, like stock markets crash, yes, uh, we lose houses, yes, we lose jobs. But the ultimate vulnerability is that you die. And so, so this guy, he's living in a world where he doesn't really understand that this life is just the first chapter of all of life. He doesn't really get that. And so he's making poor financial decisions. And so... So here's what uh, God says to him on your note sheet, <coughs> Luke 12. God says to him, you what? Fool. fool. Let's say it again. It's just good for the soul. You what? Fool. One more time. You fool. fool. Okay, so why is he a fool? Because he doesn't understand how life works. He doesn't understand that this life is just the first chapter of the rest life, and, and so he's making foolish decisions. And so he says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you, and then who will get what you've work so hard to accumulate for yourself. And this is how it will be with anyone, catch that, anyone who stores up uh, things for himself but is not rich toward God, like laying up storage in heaven. So, so Jesus in his teaching, here's the point, he comes back and back to this teaching, often through the window of finances to teach this. He comes back that this life is short, the next life is long. If you want to live well, you want to live this life in light of the next life. It was a basic Jesus teaching. So James now stands on the shoulders of his big brother, and, and he applies that teaching 
in James chapter 1. And he says, hey, when it comes to how you see yourself, you need to remember it doesn't really matter whether you're poor or whether you're rich. You need to remember this life is short and the next life is long and how things are valued there are really valued differently than here. So if you're here, uh, if, you're, if you're here and you're poor, uh, you need to remember the truth about your life. And, and if you're rich, you need to remember that all this stuff that is causing, getting you so much glory and so much power and respect here, it's not really the truth about you. And so you better be living your life for the next life. Otherwise, you're going to get there and you're going to be broke. You're going to be spiritually broke. Okay? So, so that's kind of the, the, the message. Right? So this life is short. Now, that leads to number two. And of course, number one is his foundational teaching for where he really wants to go in number two. And, and this goes like this, that our value, <coughs> and you may want to put in parentheses somewhere our, our identity, they're both good words, but our value is not determined by our wealth. So this is the heart of the passage, is that, that our value uh, is not determined by our wealth. Now, now catch this, um, in this passage, what James is referring to is financial wealth, isn't he? What, what he's saying is your value is not determined by your net worth. That's what he's saying. But stop and think with me. There are a lot of different kinds of wealth, aren't there? And he's introducing a general principle. I want to expand it out a little bit. Because in our world today, in our fallen culture of this world, that there are a lot of ways to be wealthy, aren't there? It's not just your financial wealth, but there's other forms of wealth. Like, like for example, in our culture, uh, who is considered more valuable? Beautiful people or less than beautiful people? Right? This is not a trick question. Which one? Which one? Yeah, beautiful people, right? Like here for the party and two people walk through the door and, and one girl's drop dead gorgeous and one isn't, where do the eyes go? Right? If, if, if. Uh, if a really handsome dude walks into a room and, and, and kind of an also-ran type person, uh, where does the attention go, right? It's like we live in a world that, that values the beautiful over the non-beautiful, don't we? Uh, we live in a world that values the intelligent over the not-so-intelligent. We live in a world that values the powerful over the less powerful. We live in a world that values the famous over the normal or kind of a, a non-famous person. We live in a world that values educated people over not educated people. We live in a world that values people who grow up on the right side of town more than the wrong side of town. A am I right? right? So, so there are a lot of different kinds of wealth that the way that this world determines who are valuable people and who are less valuable people. And what James is saying is as Christ's followers, you, you have to break loose of this false value system because it's not real. It doesn't last. It's wildflower beauty. It's wildflower wealth. It only is, is short. It's temporal. And when you get to the next life, which is coming soon, that, that what is values there is totally different than what's valued here. And so you better get your, your head around that. Okay, so he's calling us to that. So let's look and see what he says again in 1, 9 through 11. Because I just want to root this in his teaching before we, before we go on. So in James chapter 1, in verse 9, says, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his what? What's it say? 
high position, underline that. We're going to come back to it. He says, as, as a Christ follower, if you're poor in whatever way, we're defining poverty. You know, whether it's, uh, uh, it could be looks, it could be power, it could be education, it could be background, uh, uh, it could be appearance, it could be uh, uh, money. But he said, if you think of yourself as a poor person, you need to take pride in your high position. And we'll come back to that. And he says, of course, on the other side, if you're rich, you need to kind of keep some, a reality check about your life, your future. Take pride in your low position. In other words, kind of remember the truth about yourself. Now, here's my experience. is This, this is not easy to do, right? B- because we are surrounded by a culture that's constantly telling us that some people are more valuable than others. Is that right? right? Like we're constantly there. This is, and so it's hard for us as Christ followers to break free of, of this. And it really even happens even in the church of Jesus. Like, like in chapter 2 of James, he'll give us an example. He says, hey, when someone comes in your church and is rich and wealthy, uh, how do you treat them compared to someone who comes in your street who's poor? Right? And, and he'll say, he'll say it, in this passage in James 2, he'll challenge, he says, you know what's happening in your church is you're honoring the, the rich person and you're dishonoring the poor person. And he says, and when you do that, here's his quote in chapter 2, you have become judges with evil motives. Okay? He says, you're making judgments on who's valuable and who's not based on evil criteria. And then he says, what, what you need to be doing is following the royal law, the law of Jesus, of love your neighbor as yourself. And, and if you're treating people as, as kind of valuable for who they are in Christ, then we we're, in good, we're in good shape. Okay, so it can happen even in uh, Christian uh, circles, like here at Rocky Peak. And so, so, uh, I, so the question is, well, James says that we need, to, uh, we need to think of ourselves according to our high position, right? Those who are poor, humble, uh, think of yourself. So what does that look like? What is he talking about, our high position? And I want to talk about this for a second. This is what the New Testament teaches. This core New Testament teaching is that when you came to Jesus, that you crossed an invisible line, that you crossed kingdoms. You went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of what Paul calls his beloved son. And you move from being an enemy of God, you move to being a child of God. Now, now we use that, we are so familiar with that term that we just take it for granted. But it's like, like no, you, you really are. You're, you're like children of God. You've been adopted by God. You've received his Holy Spirit. You have the DNA of Jesus, that he loves you passionately. And, and when, you, when, when, when Jesus comes back, you'll be like him. You'll receive a new body, and you will rule the universe with Jesus. You'll be part of his ruling party, and, and your future is amazing, and you will be amazing. Right? And so that is the teaching of the New Testament. That's, that's who you are. That's your high position. And just to give you a feel for this, I want to walk you through a couple passages in the New Testament where it talks about who we are as Christ followers. So there in your note sheet, the first one is from uh, <coughs> uh, John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, and I put it in the message version of the Bible because sometimes we just get familiar with another version. This will help, kind of help us see what's there. Um, <coughs> John says, uh, what marvelous love the Father has extended us, <coughs> just look at it, uh, we're called children of God. Okay, so again, we get familiar with that term, but he says, no, catch this, you are children of God. Like, let that sink in. Like, like God is your Father. You've been 
born again and you've been adopted into his family, God is your father. So like Bill Gates has kids. They're going to inherit everything he has, right? God has kids. We're going to inherit the cosmos. We're going to rule with him. Okay? And, and as hard as it's believed, like, no, no, that this is the truth about you. And so he goes on. And he says, just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. In other words, this is not pie in the sky. This is not religious talk. This is not stick your head in the sand. This is the truth about you. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, Peter says, uh, uh, praise be to God who, that has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In other words, when we talk about the next life, this is not theory. This is reality. Because through Jesus, we've already seen the preview of coming attractions. That, that he has conquered death as he is, so we will be. As his body is, we'll get one just like it. As his, it will be transformed, you see. So, so when we talk about the future, it's no longer just kind of murky heaven, kind of hope for the best. It is rooted in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus as he is, so we will be. And so he, he goes on and he says, uh, uh, that's who we really are, but that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously. Why? Because the non-believing world, they don't get who Jesus is either. And so uh, he says, uh, because it has no idea who he is, Jesus, or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are. We're children of God, and that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, like at the end of time and he comes back, he shows himself for who he is, uh, we'll see him and in seeing him we'll become like him. Okay, this is our destiny. And this is what James said, remember who you are. This is the truth about you. You may not look like much right now. And looking at you, I can testify. But, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, just, just kidding. But, uh, but you are going to be flat out amazing. You can be flat out amazing. Uh, it's interesting, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, this passage is not on your, your sheet, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and, and they're having fights and squabbles in the church to the extent they're taking each other to court. And he says, are you kidding me? You're suing each other, you Christ followers. What, are you crazy? Uh, remember, you know, forgive one another? How about that? You know, start there. Uh, he says, but if you can't forgive one another, at least, like, there's got to be someone in your church smart enough to get, serve as an arbitrator to get this thing solved instead of taking, and taking uh, the court case before pagans and making Jesus look bad, right? So he says, is it, he says, don't you get, and here it comes on the screen, he says, don't you realize that we, as Christ, we will judge angels? Don't you realize that one day we're going to be like, Gabriel, good job, man, that man, angel, uh, good God, you know, remember, uh, Gabriel, you, know, you, you brought the message about Mary, uh, and, and, and remember you told her that she's going to be pregnant with Jesus, and man, I love that passage, good job, I give you an A, you know, and we're going to be sitting on the panel judging angels, and so Paul says, don't you realize who you are, don't you get it, like let's start applying that reality to your church, let's start living up to who you are, you see, I'll look at the next passage, uh, Colossians 3, again in the message, uh, your old life is dead, as Christ followers. Your new life, which is your real life, though even though invisible to spectators. Uh, in other words, you sitting here as a Christ follower, you're incognito, right? You're kind of like a superhero. Like no one else kind of realizes who you really are or what you're going to be. You're incognito. He says, but um, 
but your real life is with Christ in God. He is your life. And when Christ, your life, remember, shows up again on earth, you'll show up to the real you, the what? The glo- Can we say it again? The what? The glorious you. And so the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, our citizenship is not from this earth, it's from heaven, and we're awaiting a Savior. And when he comes back, he will transform our lowly bodies to be just like his new body. See, this is the future, the destiny that we have. And so James says, hey, you need to wake up. You need to remember who you are. You know, and and so you you need to get a clear picture on who you are uh, so so you're seeing clearly. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, the famous, you know, uh, you know, a writer of Chronicles of Narnia and all these other great books, you know, Mere Christianity and so on, Oxford, Dawn, and so on. But, but he wrote a sermon one time called the, 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 uh, the Way to Glory. And there in your note sheet, he says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that even the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to, so you can all kind of picture who that is, um, may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Are you with me? What he's saying is, he's telling you what New Testament teaches, is that when you're with a fellow Christ follower, they may not look like much right now, but trust me, when Jesus comes back, they will be revealed for who they are, and and they will be amazing, so flat out amazing, that if they were to appear here today in the way that they will be, we would all be tempted to worship them. That would be our, and they would have to say, no, 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 this is, you know, you're all getting one of these. You know, we're all in this thing together, right? And so, so James wants to call us uh, to, to say, hey, let's wake up. Let's realize who we are. Here's the truth about ourselves. If we're, if we're poor, you need to remember your high calling. On the, other flip, on the flip side, though, if you're wealthy uh, in whatever way you're measuring, well, you need to remember the truth about yourself that you may not be as good as you think. Right? And so you need to remember where you're going and how you measure up is, is based on other things. Are you becoming like Jesus? Are you loving and so on? Not the way the world values you. So that's the basic teaching. Now, what I want to do is get really practical right now and help you think through your own life. Like when you, when you are, are you thinking like a Christ follower or are you thinking like the world around you? And I want to ask a couple questions. I'm not asking for any show of hands here. Okay, so this is just, just a time for you to think about your own life. But there on your note sheet, you have what I call a self-image test. How do you measure your worth? And how do you measure the worth of those around you? Okay, so here we go. Number one. The first question is, do you ever find that you're insecure when you're with the rich? Okay. Do, do you find in your life that you're ever insecure when you're with the rich? And what, what I mean by rich here is, is uh, I, we're going to broaden this thing out. It could be any form of wealth. Uh, you know, it could be someone who's more successful, someone who's more beautiful, someone who's more handsome, uh, uh, someone who's higher in the organization, someone who's got more money, or someone who's more gifted. We're going to broaden this out. And when you're with people that, that you, you feel like they're smarter than you, faster than you, better looking than you, richer than you, more powerful, when you're with that, do you ever feel insecure? Right? Now, now, by hunches, probably most of us would say yes, that, that we do. Right? And, and, and so what James is saying is when you feel that way, you're not thinking like a Christ follower. You're thinking like the fallen world that we live in. You're valuing things the, the wrong way. Uh, you know, we started the day 
with this uh, story of, of Lynn and I, third anniversary, heading out to this, uh, you know, mill race in Fox River, uh, beautiful setting, you know, come in, I got California casual, whatever that is, on, and you, and you meet the mater D, and he checks you in, and he says, would you like a, a, a jacket? You know, and my initial thing, this is awesome, until, until I realized, no, it's a requirement, right? And, and so, um, so, he, so he gives me the look, and I, I begin to get the message that, oh, oh, this is not like an option. This is a requirement. And, and at that moment, I'm feeling really awkward. Now, now, you know why I was feeling so awkward? Because I was really trying to act like I fit into this place. Have you ever been there? It's like, like, I, like, we're poor college kids. I'm 22. I don't know the rules of this game. I'm trying to come in and look like I know what I'm doing. I already feel a little bit intimidated because this place is out of my league, right? And so I'm trying to fit in and have a nice night with my wife, something that's kind of out of our league, something that, that we normally couldn't afford. And, and I'm, I'm hoping just to look kind of unnoticed, like, like I look like I belong here. And, and now he's telling me I don't belong here, that I don't even know the rules to the game. You see? And so he brings out, I, you know, but what am I going to do? Like, we're 45 minutes from home. It's our anniversary. And so I say, yes, I'll take your stinking. No, I didn't say that. I, I said, oh, yes, please. I would love a jacket. And so, so he brings out this beautiful jacket. Now, you can't tell it from the way I dress. But when I was in high school, I worked at a really nice upper-end traditional men's clothing store. And so I learned a lot about men's clothing. And, and so I know nice clothing. And I know what goes into nice clothing. And, and, and here's the thing. Like, like when you're kind of outfitting someone who's not been outfitted before, the first garment you get them, the first sports coat you get them is a blue blazer. Because blue blazers can be dressed up. They can be dressed down. And so they're, they're very flexible. So the first thing of a man's wardrobe in the traditional clothing world is blue blazer, all right? So they bring out this nice blue blazer, and I recognize, nice quality, nice blue blazer, but it's got this huge, not this huge, but it's got this, like this, uh, this badge on it with the coat of arms uh, of the Mill Race Inn, right? I'm like, are you kidding me? Why didn't you just put a badge that says idiot? Uh, here. I got this neon badge now that says, this guy doesn't know the rules to our game, right? Because as I'm walking through the restaurant, no one has on one of these very cool jackets because they all know the rules of the game. Like the only idiots who've ever, I stand in a long line of idiots from California who have worn this. I might as well open up, sign my name and the date, you know, like I was here. You know, like after all these other guys who don't know the rules of the game. And so, so what's happening, like, like I come in this really high-class restaurant and I want to act like I belong, right? Because I'm feeling intimidated. I'm feeling insecure. I'm with rich. I'm with powerful. I don't know the rules. Like I know how to use two forks but not 14 forks, right? So when you get there, it's like, what do you do? Go out and kill your own beef? And, kind of, and so, so here I am and, and, I'm, and it kind of ruins my evening, right? Because the whole evening I've got this jacket on that says moron on it. Like, like, I might as well have the dunce cap. You know, the waiter's probably going, oh, dude, man, I hope he probably doesn't even know how to, how to tip. You know, it's like he doesn't even, like, where's he from? Where's this kid from? Like, oh, crud, I got him. You know, yeah, you're a low man on the totem pole. You got that table. And, and so, uh, but can, can you relate to this? Like, like, maybe not that's exactly your story, but, but you've probably known that feeling. You've known that feeling of being somewhere and feeling like you just don't belong. You're feeling outclassed. You feel like, and you start to feel bad about yourself. And 
like, like I, I, you know, maybe, maybe people are smarter than you, they're brighter than you, they're, they're faster than you, they're more gifted than you, whatever the thing is, but you just start to feel bad about yourself. And, and James says, time out. Stop feeling bad about yourself. Remember your high calling. Remember who you are. Now, now let me bring it down to home even, even more to our level here. Uh, so let's say you're new to Rocky Peak, right? And you, you decide to join a life group because obviously the whole church revolves around that. That's the best way to get involved. And so you decide, I'm gonna join a life group. Or maybe you've been here a while and for whatever reason you just haven't been in one, but you decided to join one. And so you, you, you uh, go through the book and the, the, the brochure and you, you pick out one you think is right. Now, now here's the thing, you, you, you're, you're kind of a poor person. Right? You, you drive like a 1962 Subaru, you know, and, and, and it's like it's got three wheels and kind of one that kind of works. And so uh, it's got like hippie stickers, you know, from, from you know, from the, that's that, that old. And, and so this is your car and, and you're, you're poor, like you, you don't make a lot of money. Uh, you're struggling to get by. So you get the call from the coordinator of the group. and They say the first night's a potluck. Could you bring dessert? And so you, you kind of scrape your money together. You get dessert. And so you're, you're looking forward to this group, but you're also a little intimidated, you know, because it's kind of scary the first night you go. And so, so you drive and you got the address and you don't know where the address is, but you just kind of, you know, you just kind of, uh, you look it up on, online or whatever and you print out MapQuest and you got this thing. So you're following directions. And, and now all of a sudden you're getting close to the house and you turn into the neighborhood and all of a sudden, it is drop-dead gorgeous, right? And, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you've gone from kind of weeds out in the road, and everything, you've got this beautiful manicured neighborhood. And it's all, you know, kind of, maybe it's gated or whatever. You pull in, and like every house looks perfect. And they're like, they're big houses. They're like million, two million, three million dollar houses. They're all, they all look like states. And, and it's just like, and all of a sudden, you start to feel very insecure, don't you? And there's just part of you just wants to keep on driving. Yeah, you know, you're not even sure if, if you belong. I mean, you don't have the right clothes. You have the right car. It's like you're you're afraid your car's going to be towed because it's like you know, like wow, this car obviously doesn't belong here. It looks abandoned. And and so like you put a note on the door. You know, I own this. Don't move it. And so you, you go up and you ring, you ring the doorbell and they come and, and the, you know, the, the host is there and they're all put together and the hair is just, you know, beautiful and house furniture is perfect and, and you come in and you start, you sit down and now you're going to find out that after dinner you're going to go around and share a little bit what you do for a living, where you grew up, uh, you know, where you live now and you're getting very nervous, right, because you're feeling very bad, like you don't belong here and so, so now you're going to go around and you're going to share and the first guy is an attorney, you know, and the second guy is an attorney and then and the third guy is, I, I was going to say doctor, but we don't really have doctors here at Rocky Peak. I don't know why. I think it's because we have too many attorneys. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, and so and the next guy, he, the next guy owns like, uh, you know, he's like a headhunting company. He's got his own headhunt for, for top-level executives. And you're kind of going around the room, and you're just feeling like, oh, my, why, what did I get myself into? And you're just, you're, you're just sitting there, you, like, you do not even want to tell him where you grew up. And you, you don't want to tell him uh, what you do for a living. Right? You don't want to tell them where you, like, you're feeling bad about yourself. You, like, I don't, and, and here's what James says. He says, knock it off. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a child of the king. This house, these cars, this neighborhood, these jobs, these Chris, it's wildflower stuff. 
It's not going to last. It's not what's important. What's important is who you are. You've been born again. You have the spirit of Jesus in you. Your brother over here is an attorney who owns his house. He is a, a brother in Christ. He's been born again. He has the spirit. That's what matters. This stuff we leave at the end of the game, it's like monopoly. It all goes back in the box, and you're not going on. Right? And, and, and we're going out shoulder to shoulder. Naked you came in. Naked you're going out. This stuff doesn't matter. Remember who you are. Your future is incredible. And hold your head high. Okay? Yeah. So, so I, I don't care what kind of background that you come from. Here at Rocky Peak, you're welcome. You're welcome. I don't care if your life's messed up. I don't care how messed up. I don't care what part of town. If you want to grow, you want to follow Jesus, you are welcome. This place is for you, and we're going to encourage you to hold your head high. Okay? All right. That's what James says. Okay, now let's, let's, flip, let's flip it around a little bit. Here's a second question for us. And the second question is, are you arrogant? Do you ever find yourself getting arrogant when you're with the poor? Now, this question is honestly, I think, a little bit tougher <coughs> because the reality is, if I were to ask you before for a show of hands, how many of you ever feel in your life right now insecure in any settings, work, uh, uh, Thanksgiving dinner when you're with relatives, uh, your life group, if I were to, do you ever feel insecure, are you people brighter, faster, smarter, stronger than you are? I think almost every one of us go, yeah, there's times in my life. I mean, I certainly would. I go, yep, yep, I, I, I feel that way, okay. So uh, I think we could, we could probably, uh, most of us relate to that. But if I were to ask the second question, do you ever feel arrogant when you're with the poor, people who are not as bright, uh, not as beautiful, uh, don't have as much money, whatever? Uh, my guess is we would be much slower to raise our hands. That we don't want to admit this, and yet the reality is I think that we often deal with this. And that, uh, that, that for many of us, this is a reality. It's just much more subtle. Okay? And, and so what James is saying is that if God has blessed you, that then you need to be careful that you remember what's really important and you don't get arrogant. In fact, uh, in the New Testament, there's a great statement that uh, the Apostle Paul makes to young Timothy, who's a pastor, kind of the bishop of Ephesus. And, and uh, in chapter 6, he says, uh, I know you have some people in your church there that are really wealthy. He says, I want you to come alongside and mentor them to help them be a Christ follower. And he says, so, so here's some things. He gives them some tips. He says things like, hey, uh, if you're wealthy, you've, God's blessed you, make sure you're giving a lot of it away, you know, that you're investing in the next life. Because by, just by doing that, you're going to break the hold of money on your heart, and, and you're going to take hold of that, which is life indeed. And so he says, so make sure you encourage them there. But the very first thing he says, I want you to see there in your note sheet, he, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be what? Arrogant. Let's say it again. Not to be what? Arrogant. Now why does he say that? The very first thing because when we are blessed if you are famous if you are wealthy if you've got a great job if you have a lot of degrees if you're successful in your company if you are beautiful if you are, are very gifted in the area and highly respected there is a tendency for us to get arrogant. Why? Because the world around us treats us differently. Like if you have two kids in your family, you've seen this. You have one kid that's attractive and one that's not. You have one that's bright and one that's not. And they go through and have the same teacher in school. How does that teacher treat them? 
right? It's just the way the world works is that we, this fallen world values people for the wrong reasons. And guess what? If you've got it together and you're blessed in a lot of ways, you got wildflower beauty, you got that thing going, guess what? The world around you treats you like you're special. They, they treat you. And so you're like, it's easy to buy into the lie. It's easy for you to start thinking, I am special and I am more, more special. And it's easy to get arrogant. But it's often very subtle. Like, like, let's play this out in, in the, the life group analogy. Uh, let's say that you, uh, you're, you're new at Rocky Peak, and, and you're fairly well off in whatever way we're going to define that, and you decide to join a, a life group. And so you look through, you look through the brochure, and, and you find a group you think would fit for you. Now, this is what we should all do, right? You're looking for someone you can relate to, and that's just good and right. And so this guy has a similar job as you have. And so you think, yeah, this looks like someone I can relate to. I'll join that group. Nothing wrong with that. So that's good. So now the first night, uh, you're pretty busy. And so you, uh, you, you call over to uh, Ruth, Chris, and Steakhouse, and you say, hey, we got a potluck, and I need to bring some dessert. I'm going to stop by. And, and just kind of, I need, I think I need six, I need like 15, like just give me 20. Give me 20 of them and uh, I'll pick them up. And so we get this, you know, we get some beautiful desserts. And, and so we get into our $80,000 car and, and we've got our designer uh, uh, clothes on and we've got a Rolex watch and we're checking it out. Yeah, I think we're still on time. And, and nothing wrong with any of this. Okay, this is kind of who we are. This is how we roll. This is how God has blessed us, right? So, so that's who we are. And so now we're driving and we got our address and, and we're driving through town and, and we're getting increasingly nervous, Because we've never really been in this part of town. You're like to your wife, uh, honey, why don't we lock the doors? Uh, and so we're driving like, well, maybe this will be okay. You know how the valley is, kind of spotty. Uh, uh, maybe we'll turn a corner and it'll be really beautiful. Uh, and so, and so, and so uh, all of a sudden we're like, I think we're here. GPS says we're here. And uh, she just said, uh, you've reached your destination. And so uh, we... We're like, you think this is it? It looks like an apartment building. They don't hold these things in apartment buildings, do they? I mean, like the last time it was an apartment building, I was, you know, frat house or whatever. It's like, I, I don't remember that. And it's like, I, I guess so. It's like, wow, do you think it's safe to leave the car here? It's like, I, I don't know. It's like, well, yeah, I guess we got to go. We got the dessert. You know, they can starve without us. So, so, so you get out and you lock the car and you, you know, put your safe locks on, all that sort of thing, and make sure you're, you're, you're all set. And so now you head up to the door, and, and so you come and you knock on the door, you kind of walk in these narrow stairs, and you're feeling a little bit kind of weird about this, and you knock on the door, and sure enough, you know, the, the leader's there, the picture that you saw, and the, the brochure you picked this, but, but he's kind of the only person who looks like him. You know, it's like, like everyone in this crowd, they, they look like they've had a little harder life. You know, it's, it's like they, they and, and when they start talking, they don't really talk, the grammar sometimes, not always kind of quite right. And, and, and man, all these people have come from some tough backgrounds. And so you're, you're feeling kind of uncomfortable. And when it comes to you to telling what you do for a living, you're feeling uncomfortable saying it for the opposite reason. Like, I just don't even want to admit, like, like what I, I do or where we live. And, and, and so, so what happens by the time it gets to the end of the night, uh, uh, you, you're, you don't walk away and you don't say, like, are you kidding me? Those aren't my kind of people. Like, I, I, we got to find a new group. I'm dropping out. This is not for me. We, we don't say that. What we're tempted to say is, you know, I'm not sure this group is going to work for me, right? I, I'm not sure I can really connect. I'm sure we have a lot in common. Now, now, just to be clear, I think there's times we often need to go through two or three groups till we find a group of people we connect with. No, nothing wrong with that. Because don't miss here. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is that, that we don't come out and say, I'm better than those people. I don't hang out with those kind of people. I don't have a life story like those kind of people. What we say is I'm not sure it's the right fit, you see. 
And so James comes and he says, hey, let me challenge you. He said, all this stuff you have, the car, the looks, the job, the position, man, it's wildflower. It's wildflowers. It's not going to matter. So you, so you better be living your life for the next life. He said, what, what matters here in this group, what this matters is not where they came from. It's not their story. It's not how they talk. It's not the clothes they wear. That's all wildflower. What matters is that they are a son or a daughter of the king. And you're a son or daughter. Okay? And, so, and so together, we're going to grow together because what's really important is what we share in this, this group. Now, here's the thing. The reality is, is for most of us, for most of us here, that we are going to have times in our life where we experience both sides of this equation. There are going to be times when you feel uh, insecure, and there's other times you're going to be tempted to feel arrogant. And the reason is, as we go through life, there are always people who have more than us in whatever area, and there's always people that less than us. But what James is saying is the same false value system that leads you to feel insecure in one setting will lead you to feel arrogant in another setting. You see, like, like if we measure people the wrong way, we will always go back and forth from being insecure to arrogant. And what he's saying is that at Christ followers, we gotta break out of this. We gotta break because it's not in line with reality. And so what he's calling us is to become like Jesus, right? Because Jesus didn't treat people differently based on their socioeconomic background. He didn't, he didn't treat the woman caught in adultery different than Nicodemus, who is the, one, of the, one of the leaders of Israel with, with wealth and power, right? He just treated people like people. He just kind of loved people. And catch this. One of the things I love about Jesus is how secure he was in himself. Like when you read him, he just, he is not a respecter. Jesus doesn't really care what you think about him. Like he's very comfortable. And yet when you stop and think about it, he had every reason to be uncomfortable. Like, like he was born, a lot of people thought he was illegitimate. In a culture, that was a really unusual thing. Uh, then he grows up on the poor side of town, in, in a town that's proverbial for its so poor side of town. And then he grows up as a poor man working with his hands. He doesn't go to the finest schools of the day. He's often seen as uneducated by the religious leaders of the day. And yet, when he, when he comes to Jerusalem and he meets with the brightest and the best and the most gifted and the most powerful, you never sense him intimidated, right? Why? Because he knows the truth about life. And the truth about life is who he is is not defined by what he owns or how he looks or what he's accomplished. The truth of life is that he's defined by his relationship with his father. And the truth of life is about the future that's coming. And he knows he's going to rule the world. And so what you think about me right now doesn't really matter because I know the end of the story. You see? And catch this. This is the freedom that Jesus is calling us to as Christ's followers. It's a freedom from insecurity, and it's a freedom from arrogance, that, that we would be the people that God has called us to be. And catch this, that this is what he's called us to, to be a movement here at Rocky Peak. You see, I, I, I love what's happening in our church. I, I love the increasing diversity that's happening in our church. I, I love that we have people who are poor and people who are wealthy. You know, let me tell you something. Sometimes I talk to people that haven't been to Rocky Peak in a long time, and they'll say, yeah, I used to go to that church, but that church used to have, and I don't even know if it's true. This is just what I've heard many times. I don't even know if it's true. But they used to have the reputation that it's like all the beautiful people went there. And I, you know what I tell them? I say, well, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you should come. You fit right in. 
Man, but I, I can't tell you it's happening, man. It's happening here. And, he, and here's the day I dream of. I, I dream of the day, and it's happening now. When a life group, you have people who are very wealthy, very blessed. People are very poor. People that have always grown up as Christ followers and never got off the track, and so they haven't had to pay the high price of sin. Uh, other people that have, have, have just a totally, uh, they, they've gone through so much. They're, they've gone through so much pain because of, of the things that they've fallen into. You, you got people who are successful and people are not. People of high position, people of low. And, and we're all together and, and we're all growing and we're all loving one another because that's the body of Jesus. And that is the reality that he's calling us to and that is the reality of the next life. This life and this values are illusions. It is not the truth about life. This world lives in a false reality. As Christ followers, we are come to pursue the truth. We're called to pursue the truth that sets us free. And the truth about you is if you're a caller of Jesus, you are my brother, you're my sister, and you are amazing, and we're going to spend forever together. And so God is here going to unleash a movement as we learn this. We love and we treasure and we honor each other, and we refuse to bow to the false gods of this world. We bow to the one true God who came to set us free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we are so thankful for this. And I'm the first to admit, God, this is hard stuff. It's hard to fathom because we live in a world where we've just been trained from the time we're young. Certain people are more valuable than others. And so we repent, God. We repent of that. And whether, whether we're whether at the poor side of things or at the rich side of things or somewhere in the middle, <laughs> we just repent uh, of a value system that is, as you said, that Jesus, many things that are, are honorable in the sight of men are detestable in the sight of God. And so we just repent from this false value system. And we embrace the values of the kingdom. And we recommit to love one another as we have been loved and, and as you've loved us and as, as we're to love our neighbor as ourselves to this royal law. And so we pray that in our church, God, you would release us. You'd release us into this new freedom you've called us to, the freedom of sons and daughters of God. You'd, you'd, free, you'd release us to a freedom of a new love for one another that doesn't base another person's value on the externals, but bases them on the reality of who they are in Christ. And as we come together, God, to worship you now and to learn this new song that celebrates some of these truths that we've talked about, we pray that you'd write them on our heart. We pray this in Christ's name. Would you stand with me as we worship? We have found our hope. We have found our peace. We have found our rest in the one who loves, and he will light our way and he'll lead us home. That's really the story we've been reading about today, that, that we found our identity in the one who loves us and in the future that he has for us. And, and so we never want to fall prey to the illusion of this world and its values. I'd like to speak his word over you, if I could, for just a minute. That according to his word, that every, if you're a Christ follower here today, you've given your life to Christ, that every spiritual blessing in heaven has been given to you through your relationship with Christ. The truth about you is that he chose you before the creation of the world, that you might be holy and blameless, perfect in his sight, that he planned it all, he predestined you, he sent his spirit of his son into your life as a guarantee of the inheritance that's coming in your future, that when you were once dead and, and enemies of God and under the influence of the, the prince of this world, that while you were dead, that he made you alive in Christ, 
so that in all of eternity, he might show you his amazing love for you. And that's not my word. That is what Ephesians 1 and 2 says. That is who you are. That is the truth about you. And so as a church, we want to embrace that truth. We want to live in that truth. We want to share that truth to one another. We want to, we want to reflect that truth so that we can grow in the reality of the next life. Amen? Amen. I hope you can be with us next week. It's a topic I know some of you won't be able to relate to, but many of you can. It's a topic on, it's called temptation. Uh, so, so if you really can't relate, well, you know, Dudley, Dudley will be over there. So, uh, but, but, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you can deal with, you know, if, if you ever deal with that in your life in any way, uh, it is powerful stuff. I'm telling you, it's good stuff. As we continue on this hard-hitting, uh, practical book. Don't you love it? Just so awesome. It's just so awesome. It's, it's like... Wow, can you, can you get much more practical than, than James? He's just going to lay it on. And let me tell you, we're in this for a few months, right? It's like, just, just hold on to your seats because it's going to keep on coming week after week. Until then, may the Lord bless you. And till, may he speak to your heart the truth that we've been speaking today, that, that you are amazing and that your, his love for you is amazing and your future is amazing. And so when you're discouraged, remember who you are. When you tend to get arrogant, Remember that the things you're arrogant about were a gift to you, and like wildflowers, they will go. But what will not go is his love for you, and so you want to be living for that love and for the next life. God bless you. Love you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.